Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to our newest episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and here with me for this conversation is, as always, my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hello, but wouldn't it be cool if you were podcasting with your older self or younger self at this point? No, it wouldn't. I actually thought about making that joke here in the intro because we usually do something kind of witty, and I was thinking to myself how (laughs) that would just be really awkward and strange. And not appealing at all. <laughs> well, if you were, if given the choice, would you podcast with your older or younger self? That's a fair question. Definitely my older self, because yeah. I think my younger self probably didn't know, just wouldn't be nearly as interesting as a conversation <laughs> <laughs> as the older self, especially with, the, you know, you cater in kind of like, we always talk about how movies change as you watch them over the years and with different perspectives on life etc and so i feel like if i was podcasting with my older self the older self would have potentially multiple viewings or 20 plus years of you know feelings to pull from about whatever the movie was this movie in particular and that would be more interesting than someone who just i don't know how they would have seen it because it didn't exist patrick you're breaking my brain already Sorry, sorry. I know this is supposed to be an easy one. Let's let's get back to the just the regular stuff here. Yes, yes. Well, this week we are discussing the Adam Project. Adam, A D A M, not Atom, A T O M. The time travel adventure film from Sean Levy and Ryan Reynolds that is now streaming on Netflix. We're usually big fans of this kind of science fiction, and of course, anything that manages to get us in the feels, both of which this film does. So, with that, we're just going to get into it. This is our spoiler warning. If you haven't seen it, it's a nice, easy, breezy watch. Check it out on Netflix. We both recommend it. We both had a lot of fun with it. We, we wouldn't be talking about it if we didn't. That's kind of our thing now. So you know that we enjoyed it because it's an episode, and we think that it's worth your time. Go get the family. Sit down on a Friday night. It's perfect for that kind of experience. We are going to spoil it, so turn away now if you haven't seen the film. Well, the movie starts off with a quote, and I really enjoyed that specific like text on the screen it says time travel exists you just don't know it yet and i gotta say for me it kind of put me in the right frame of mind because i immediately was taken to a place where i started to kind of fantasize right off the bat and i was thinking about, oh okay you know that's kind of cool like this could be realistic time travel could exist and i could just not know it yet because it hasn't happened right So immediately was able to kind of set that stage for me. And we're thrown into this really exciting action set piece. Again, something I was totally not expecting at all from what I'd seen or heard of the movie. I didn't know that it was going to start off with this spaceship sequence. And you've got Reynolds flying this spaceship, being chased by somebody and shot at and he's hijacking a ship and you don't know what's going on and he's talking about getting into the time stream and it's all just chaos and it looks really cool and boom he hits this portal and is transported back to the past and so we get a really brief look at the future 2050 i believe is the year 
that we are in at the beginning. And for me, man, it grabbed my attention right away. I, I think it told me the kind of movie that this was going to be. And I felt like I needed to have popcorn with me right away. Like I was like, this is the kind of film that I shouldn't be sitting here. You know, whatever I'm doing, it's different. It's, it's kind of, it's not a drama. It's going to have a lot of action in it. And it didn't have a ton, but it does have quite a few set pieces after that that come that that fit in really well, I think, with that spaceship sequence. It did leave me a little wanting, though, because I wanted more spaceship flying, dogfighting, and we didn't get it, really. But I, I thought it worked really well, and I just wondered, for you, did it kind of grab your attention right away? Did it, you know, how did it affect your viewing experience? Well, I'm I'm definitely one of the space opera guys. I have you know, Star Wars in my blood, but I'm not an uber fan of that kind of stuff. And there, there are pockets of that kind of sci-fi that I like. Battlestar Galactica comes to mind. Um, I want to check out the, the Netflix series Lost in Space. I've heard that's really good. So that kind of set piece is a great opener for a movie like this because it just kind of focuses your attention. It's not a slow burn. It's almost like a cold open where you just sort of go, oh, here we are. I wasn't necessarily curious about the tech. I thought it was sort of explained visually in some of the, like the UI, like the HUD and things like that. So I wasn't really in that place where I wanted that to be explained. It felt very much more fantasy than sci-fi, which I thought was nice because when you're dealing with stuff in space, you suspend your disbelief already because there's no sound in space. So anytime you hear an explosion, like in Star Trek, you're like, look, Okay, this is our sci-fi fantasy on the fantasy side. But in terms of my experience with the movie, I was definitely pulled in. I felt like this was a a way to remind us that this is a world that we don't know. Even if it's a world that we never go back to, it tells us visually that we are in a time period that is not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is very much futuristic. We see Earth. We see people talking in English. And it's just, it's that kind of stuff that is is very much simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. So Reynolds' character, Adam, is hijacking a ship. He makes a wormhole and boom, now we're in 2020. And so for me, I thought it was a great opening set piece. I thought it really established the excitement of what the movie was going to be. And it didn't disappoint. Did you find yourself wanting more of that throughout the film? Did you ever kind of think that you wanted us to get back to the future, see more of that? Because like I said, I, I really did. I thought that was such a cool thing that it almost left me slightly disappointed when everything else in the movie was essentially ground-based for the most part. Yeah, I, I don't think so. And again, I don't okay. know that that's my favorite kind of action is the okay. intergalactic sequences, unless there's, I mean, you have to get really, really cool with the choreography to grab my attention when it comes to that. And I'm going to go back to Battlestar Galactica. I thought that for a TV series, that had a lot of great space battle sequences, but the the movie itself, the you know, the, the one we're talking about now is more those grounded fight sequences were really what grabbed my, I actually really enjoyed those. And I was glad we got what we did there. 
Okay. Yeah, I was too. We'll kind of talk some about those. Um, I just wondered, this was, since this is the only real flight stuff in the movie, in this way, at least, in space, uh, it's the only future we get, basically. We don't get to spend any more time in the future. We're there for three or four minutes, and then we're gone. And I just thought that was a fascinating kind of approach for, for this kind of film, because typically that's not the way these movies go. I mean, even with Back to the Future, we spend a lot more time than they do here in the opening of the film in the quote future. And we spend a little bit of time there when we get back, but we never really get that. It's very brief in nature. So anyway, the main plot that we are dealing with here. So it revolves around Adam who is going back in time. He's stolen this ship. And his goal is to stop someone. We don't know when we are watching the movie for quite a while, but to stop his dad, Lewis, and this businesswoman named Maya from creating this world that apparently, or from creating time travel and then leading to this world where ultimately she has manipulated it in a way that has made her to be the most powerful person that there is. And he... You know, crash lands in the wrong year, 2022, interacts with his younger self. He's trying to get back to 2018, apparently. And I thought it was just really interesting. It's a simple setup. And I think that that and a whole bunch of other things about this movie, basically everything, ties into the fact that it's so family-friendly is one of the things that I enjoy about it. It's so accessible. It's not over the top when it comes to the plot. It, there are moments where they're trying to explain things, and I was like, okay, whatever. But it doesn't get so techie that a kid couldn't follow along at all times. And I thought that, that was a pretty you know good way to approach this story. And it's simple because I think – something that we're always going to wonder about is those with power abusing it. It's like a really common theme, both for just reality and for any sort of sci-fi type storytelling. If there's this new technology, someone is going to try and manipulate it, use it for their own personal gain. And so the fact that he's trying to stop someone made perfect sense to me. But I wanted to ask you about that because I also had a question about the ethics of this in a, in a way. He is essentially making the choice by going on this mission to undo relationships and undo history. You know, yes, his are included in that, but he's wiping out all of these things that have happened. And I so I wanted to get your thoughts kind of on the general plot because I really enjoyed it but I, it did leave me a little bit in debate about whether or not I thought he was quote unquote right morally ethically right to make this decision or you know maybe there was a better way to fight this battle in the future that didn't involve restarting the timeline am I getting too deep <laughs> well Yes, but that's not a bad thing because you and I kind of share the same brain when it comes to these types of things. When we watch movies like Interstellar, we love the mechanics 
of the science. We love the mechanics of time travel. So we talked about this on our triple episode with uh, Adam Rakoff with regard to Back to the Future. You set your own rules. So when you set your rules, you with, with regard to time travel specifically, if you break those rules, it breaks down your your film. So everything that you're talking about is complete is a complete natural brain muscle reaction from you or from me. However, when I watch the Atom Project, I don't get the sense that it's trying to get that heady, and it's not. We both agree to that. So I ignored that. I ignored the ethics of it. So to be honest. Could I answer that question? Sure, he was being unethical because you're messing with the timeline and you're screwing up everybody's life, including your own. But at the at the part of the movie that I liked was the fact that he was, that his story was what we were interested in, his relationship with his younger self, his relationship with his dad and with his mom. That's what the movie zeroed in on. And so that story was what successfully gave me as an audience the ability to latch on to. It doesn't ask me to question those ethics. At no point do I remember him ever being asked by anybody else, the consequences of what you were doing is going to have um, incredible repercussions, which is different from something like Back to the Future, where Doc Brown is constantly preaching about the ramifications of interacting with your past self or your future self or changing past events to affect future realities. That's a crux of the entire series. With the Adam Project, that's not, and I think it's it's for the better because if it was, all that other stuff that I loved about the movie would get so muddied that I would then start focusing on, well, he did this, but that kind of broke this rule, and you know whatever. And by the time I got done with that conversation, the guy across me is like, but what about him and his relationship with his dad? And I'm like, oh yeah, that too. <laughs> and so I, I like the fact that the movie doesn't ask us to do that, and I never felt that pressure of having to figure those things out. I think he's wrong for doing it. I mean, if, if we're going to be simple, because anytime you jack with time travel and you jack with a choice that you make, it's going to have that butterfly effect. You make one choice, it's going to affect somebody else's choice. A relationship is not going to get created. Kids are not going to be had. And now we live in this dystopian future where dinosaurs rule the earth and Fast and the Furious franchise is the only successful franchise on the planet. So we don't want those things. <laughs> what we want are fun adventure stories. Maybe we do. Maybe we want part of that. We want Fast and Furious 1 through 7 as a franchise, you know, and those kinds of stories. 8 through whatever they're going to go to, we're fine with give or take. So, <laughs> But yeah, I didn't, I didn't focus on that. I, yeah, I enjoyed the simplicity <laughs> of that story and everything that, they, that Sean Levy and crew uh, intentionally focused on. I did too, and I agree with you, I think, we often talk about this and how what matters most, and this is how I approach my reviews in general of movies from the film critic side is, you know, does the film accomplish the goal that it set out to not, did it do what I necessarily wanted it to do in every single way, but does it do well enough or does it accomplish its goals? And I think with storytelling, does the movie make sense enough for the way it wants to make sense. And, and it does that. It doesn't get complicated. It keeps it simple. It doesn't break its own rules is the better way to put it. So it sets forth very simplistic rules and says, no, it's not. They even address it. I love that. I love that there's little nods to time travel. I like that this is set in the real world. And so they do reference things like Back to the Future. And there's a joke about like, well, hey, am I going to disappear if you touch me or whatever. And, you know, no, it doesn't quite work like that. And so they, 
get that out of the way right off the bat directly. And I think approaching it that way was important because it also helps to kind of alleviate that part of your brain that is maybe starting to drift into that more technical side where you're like, is this primer? Like what's going to happen? It's going to get everything's going to get messed up. Cause if you could do that with pretty much any movie that involves time travel, you could find a way to break it. I don't think because it doesn't actually exist. So, <laughs> you know, the, it's a concept. It's not like an actual proven thing yet. It does. Or we maybe just it, don't know it. And yet. we just don't know it. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. Come on. You just you laid that softball up for me to hit. And oh, I was like, all right, here we go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked it. And I thought that, you know, it was a little bit on the Netflix side that it's just this one evil woman who has grown to rule the world. She has like one lieutenant guy that follows her around and you know a small tiny little army of soldiers and some technology and that's all we know like we never get to see that she's i don't know like the tyrell corporation or something if you want to think about somebody who made you know replicants in the blade runner universe but we always kind of get to see the bigger broader thing and i thought that that was kind of indicative of maybe partially there's other things that are too but like the budget you know we're keeping this on a small scale and it also i think does simplify it again for family audiences because you're not trying to go big and create a whole universe is where i'm going with this you're not creating this whole you're not concerned at all with the world in the future the movie is like hey everybody it's bad we need to fix it <laughs> and that's that's it that's all you get right and then you are sucked into believing it's bad because you watch maya's actions in the past as she's trying to protect herself in her future and they're clearly not good because she's murdering and doing things at all costs and so you know i liked it it worked for me i thought the whole point was you know it's all a vehicle for displaying some really good relationship stuff. That's what I enjoyed the most out of this. And that's what made it a special watch that I wanted to recommend to all my friends immediately and be like, get your kids, sit down on the couch and, and enjoy this movie. So I want to kind of go through them. Let's start with like old Adam and young Adam. This is a first time actor. I believe I looked him up. It seems well, his name is Walker Scobell or something similar to that. But he, this is his first feature film, which is pretty incredible because I thought he did a fantastic job. And I loved that for me, he legitimately felt like a young Ryan Reynolds. I mean, not necessarily just in looks, but like the sarcastic tone and delivery of the dialogue, you could have sold me on it being just like a Ryan Reynolds would have if he was younger. And so that worked really well for me. And I thought that maybe more than almost any other Ryan Reynolds movie I've ever seen, I don't know that I've watched him interact with kids in this way before, but it was really tender and sweet and heartfelt. And the comedy worked almost perfectly for me. Uh, it was really cute. I love the bullying scene where he's trying to stay out of it. And he's like, listen, you need to deal with this so that we don't have to deal with it. We, I love that. So we don't have to deal with this later. You need to go do your business. And ultimately he won't. And he's like, okay, fine. I'm going to take care of this myself. 
and breaking I just, a rule, really, breaking a yeah, rule. Yeah, ex- exactly. There's a time breaker right there. But I, I just yeah. enjoyed the way that that went down. And it was interesting to think about like someone sticking up for themselves and not for someone else, but like they're trying to alter their own future in a way. And it's just, I don't know. I, I found it really tender and stuff. So how did you, you know, react to the two different atoms? I thought that they made a nice molecule. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make that joke. Wow. That's <laughs> pretty good. I don't know if that's even scientifically accurate. Who cares? My... Neither is the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is but what we want it to be. Right. All bets are off here. Yeah, I, I like their relationship. And the mannerisms were spot on. I think that this kid probably watched a lot of Ryan Reynolds movies, probably got the chance to hang out with him and really just watch how he moved, watched how he reacted to certain things. This also, without necessarily being too on the nose, felt like a 2020 kid. Now, I have a nine-year-old at this point, as you're listening to the show, and he's very mouthy. Like, he's very much all boy, and he has his friends, and he has his online games, and he's into the, you know, watching, watching people play video games, which still just kind of boggles my mind um, instead of actually playing them. But he... I can see how this kid is a response. You know, he's a response to the world that we live in very much sarcastic, very much sort of not jaded, but very much aloof to the world. You get early on the way in which he talks to his mom, that it's not that he's in charge, but it's not that she is either. And that plays into a great part of the story where older Adam, Ryan Reynolds, is essentially just slapping him down saying, look, your mom needs someone to care for her. She doesn't have anybody. I don't remember the line exactly, but she said, your mom takes care of you, but nobody takes care of her, I think is what the line was. And I was like, dude, that's harsh. And he's at an age where he can get that. Like, I can tell my kid, you're being mean to your mom, stop it. And I think at nine, he can get that. But I think as you get older, and especially into the the preteens, you really start to understand the cognitiveness of that where, wow, the the actions that I'm doing, the things that I'm saying and the way I'm acting, it's very much affecting the people around me. And I think that's what made their relationship work is because if you were saying this to an eight-year-old or maybe a five-year-old, one, I don't think they'd be doing this, but young Adam also has history now. He's got bullies. He's got his you know video game life. He's got this world of being a preteen and beyond an adolescent that older Adam has the ability to interact with. And so these conversations wouldn't work when he was eight or 10, even that a lot's happened. Plus he's lost his dad. So there's a lot to connect here with the, with both of them. And so at times it felt like an older brother, younger brother relationship. At times it felt like a father son relationship, which I think Sean Levy has this ability to give us those kinds of tender moments in relationships. He does it so well in Real Steel. It's one of the reasons I fell in love with that movie is because of the fact that, well, Hugh Jackman's in it, so that's by default going to be good. But the way in which you have this harsh, um, rugged dude who's been kind of burnt out by you know, this career (laughs) being a fighter has now been latched on to this kid and their journey 
is in some ways parallel to older and younger Adam. And that echoes through um, Adam and his dad, played by Mark Ruffalo. I think this is, uh, you know, a fun performance by Ruffalo. It, just seeing him in particular uh, reacting to older Adam the first time. My wife was watching this with me, and she absolutely cracked up when <laughs> when when Ruffalo punches punches Adam. That he kind of lunges at him like a peacock. Like he he has to, he has to pick his foot up and basically jump at him because he's tall. And it's it's that kind of relationship that it's so matter of fact. And it's it's another thing that makes this movie work as a simple uh, story in that there's no exposition when it, when it came to like, you didn't spend 30 minutes wandering around. Okay. I'm going to introduce myself. He's not going to know who I am. And eventually I'm going to reveal myself as his son. Nope. They go into the lecture hall. They both sit down. He sees Adam. He's like, Adam. And he's not really surprised. He's like, okay, time travel works. And so all of those, those moments set you up and tell you, okay, I don't have to get this explanation. I don't have to go through that treading of building up this relationship. We can get right into it. I was recently listening to a podcast where they were covering a show and the, the showrunner said, look, I want this show. It's a sitcom on Saturday mornings. I want there to be tight scene movements. In other words, set it up and then get to it. Don't explain it. And because your audience is very much a young audience. It's seven, eight, and nine-year-olds. The Adam Project, I think, functions in a similar way, but just more on a, on a more grand scale. And that's where we get the family friendliness. You go into more interstellar, you got to have three hours to explain all this stuff. And my nine-year-old is not going to sit through that. My wife is not going to sit through that, okay? <laughs> Very few people are going to sit through a 2001 A Space Odyssey or an interstellar or these long movies that really set up effectively great plot points and character development. Sean Levy, his MO is working relationships and family relationships. And I think this is the platform, Netflix or simple production. This is the platform for him to do what he does. And I think that's with those relationships specifically, I think that's where he succeeds. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. And in most of his films, you're going to see very similar stuff. Like you talked about with Real Steel. It's the same in Night at the Museum. It's the same in Free Guy. This is a very common thing he puts into his comedies, whether they are more action heavy. The drama is kept. It's always almost always a level of melodrama. And to an extent, that was overkill for me in this one. It was a little bit more sickly sweet than I wanted. Like the relationship with his wife is so fleeting. Zoe Saldana comes in. She's a complete badass for like 10 minutes, gets a cup of coffee, and then sacrifices herself in this overwhelmingly melodramatic moment. And she's gone. That's really it until the credits or wherever it is, the final moment when we see him. But it's sweet and it serves its purpose. And again, I think that it's all built for that balance of getting the point across to the youngest audience possible without so the nuance is not there on purpose it's not because sean levy doesn't know how to make movies and that's where i've trying to get at earlier with the whole like does it accomplish its goals he is not wanting it to be super nuanced and 
dramatic. Like he wants it to kind of be this big overbearing score and emotional moment. He wants kids to be like, Oh my gosh, I get it. Right. And it serves that purpose and it works. And there are several kind of moments that are somewhat like that. Not nearly as big with character deaths or whatever. I like the stuff with Jennifer Garner as his mom. Um, there's some sweet stuff, the way that he's kind of in a bad place after his dad has died in this car crash. When we first meet young Adam, and he's such a little snarky <laughs> jerk. The way he treats the boyfriends and and her about the boy, he's I mean he's not a nice guy at first. Like he kind of comes out of this a better kid, and it's kind of cute when he has the interaction with the guy that she's dating, right? And kind of makes fun of him and, <laughs> and uses <laughs> that phrase about the mustache or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> I forgot what it was, but it was yeah. I forget what he says specifically, but. Uh, anyway, I really liked the brief moments with Jennifer Garner, and I thought that both her and Ruffalo were really good. And, you know, I think anytime Ruffalo plays this kind of character, it's so him. I mean, and this feels, this is like if Bruce Banner was a dad. I was just going to say, yeah, this is Bruce Banner. <laughs> this, is, this is Bruce Banner post-MCU. He's settled down or whatever, and he's just a science teacher. But he's smart enough to make that cool move at the very end where he gets himself sh her to shoot at him with the magnetic bullet so that it will be pulled through. I mean, that was so sick. I got to admit, like I didn't see that coming. And so I was like, Oh yes, that's freaking an awesome trick. Right. And, and of course he's like, yay, go science, which is kind of in conflict with the way that Adam handles thing, which is much more actiony and aggressive. I do also like the way in which, everything they portray to us about young Adam feels like it's directly impacted older Adam as we know him. So it feels very consistent, just the attitude in general, the snark, but also the fact that as a kid, he is obsessed with VR video games. Right. And so he wanted to get the chance to fly the ship and he gets to do so remotely and kind of participate at this one point. And so it makes sense when you know that older Adam becomes like this pilot and you know, he's essentially progressed through that chain to the point where he utilizes technology of the time. And so I thought that that was cool. And, and, you know, and overall it just, it was, I thought the relationships are great and it all culminates in Patrick. I would say it's going to be like, if we were still doing our end of the year episodes and we had a, what's one of your favorite ending scenes of a movie in the year, I know it's not technically the end scene because he meets up with his wife later, which is also really sweet because he and Laura, the whole thing, the whole concept here is that if he erases time travel creation because of the way that that led to them meeting several years down the road, he'll never meet his wife and they'll never be able to get married. But then it's kind of one of those whole like fate scenarios. So I liked that. But the moment before that, where there three of them are just silently without words playing catch in the backyard. I cried. I got teary. I'm not going to yeah. lie. That was one of the coolest visuals I've seen in a movie in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. When I watch that scene and I watch how the ending played out, the end result is the same. So if we, if we think about the events before the movie started, we have, Adam's dad gets in a car crash. 
he's left with his mom. He grows up. He goes to flight school or he goes to college or whatever the, the thing is. He meets his wife who he walks her to another building. They get married and all that stuff happens. Well, nothing changes. Time travel is not invented. The same things happen. His dad dies in a car crash. But his dad gets a chance to see. The difference is that his dad gets to experience his son a couple of years later before, you know, after he died. So he gets to see that kind of echo of his of his child. But he also gets to see older Adam and who he's become. So his reality, his dad's reality is everything that we've experienced as an audience. But for both of them, the I love the way that Sean Levy repeats some of these scenes, like the scene where his mom is going through the bills and the same dialogue takes place where he's giving her crap about, <laughs> about how she files the bills. And yeah, and the way it's even down to the delivery, the, the lines are delivered. The lines are the same between her and him. But the way in which they're delivered is more of a banter instead of a sarcasm and frustration. And the end of the scene is different. He gives her a hug instead of walking out. And so being able to experience the fact that all these events happen, we can get into the conversation. We're not going to, but you could always get into the conversation about, you know, fate's going to do its thing and that his dad's going to die. He's going to have to deal with that. His mom's going to have to deal with it. But because of what they've experienced, because of that learned or shared experience, how he reacts, or really it comes down to his, his dad not doing time travel, spending more time with his son and, and having that, that, that integral relationship. The death was still hard, but it didn't take its toll on his relationship with his mom. As a result, they had a healthy relationship. And we see him in this class and his wife walks in lost as a goose because that's what happens. But it doesn't change the fact that they end up getting together at the end. It's just a different way. So the end result is the same, but it's a healthier way because of the fact that this relationship between these three, or technically these two, existed and played itself out as a direct or end result or or indirect result of the fact that time travel didn't exist or the way older Adam put it time travel was not his other child because I think he makes that great line that you know he referred to science or this project the Adam project I think, or, or whatever the project was called as his other son and so that was now absent so we get to see those events and I thought that was a really great way to finish the movie where we got to see familiar scenes with familiar dialogue and f just familiarity, but that slight difference in the way in which lines were delivered and that hugging instead of rejecting that kind of stuff. So it's, it's good, man. And I think you're right. I think it's, it's a really solid way to finish a movie and that, tr that triple, that, that triangular catch that was being done. I thought, yeah, that's, that would be so cool to be a father and to, play catch with both your older and and slightly older son <laughs> you know because it's I mean, it's really sweet yeah i i can't think about it too hard though because then it does start to break my brain because then i'm like okay inside the house is another adam the one that he's actually going to go back to 
and also time travel doesn't exist so how did they just poof away and also why is there a like time limit like why did they get like 30 minutes to go hang out before they poofed fate, away fate. you know what i mean i know i know <laughs> but like those are the kinds of them <laughs> i had to i had to let go of some of that because i was yeah. like this doesn't make any sense at all but i don't care because this is a super emotional visualization of something that we would all be very moved by and that we would all wonder about and i like that well we talked about it a little bit but th this is decidedly throwback in the aesthetic and the way that it feels to me like an 80s family sci-fi movie i kept you know they mentioned back to the future i kept thinking about the last starfighter i kept thinking about the flight of the navigator movies like that where there is definitely a large earth kind of component to it but there's something else that is being experienced as well and they've got action and they've got emotional moments and typically a kid or young adult of some kind having to learn lessons so i feel like it fits into that group pretty well i wanted to get your thoughts on both that in general and just did the action work for you and how does it kind of play out on the small screen here in 2022 because some of the ground-based action scenes i personally really enjoyed but as much as I said at the beginning, I wanted more of the space stuff. I'll be honest, it was not great CGI inside the cockpit with Ryan Reynolds. Like the outskirts, when we were just looking at space and the wormhole being created, like that CGI looked good, but it was very obvious to me that he was in a stage somewhere in a machine like that was built and he's like, you know, bouncing around in a cockpit that was on a green screen stage somewhere. It just felt very obvious. And it worked for me on the small screen in the same way that I feel like those older films worked for me aesthetically when I popped in a VHS tape because I never saw them on the big screen either. I did not get the feeling that this would have gained a value by being on a big screen because it didn't have that kind of production value space opera level that I expect or I need. I feel like I might have been let down if I'd seen it there. So I actually felt like it was a almost like a perfect delivery system personally it's where i landed but what did you think about that well this is the first time that i really recognized production budget when it came to sequences like that in movies i know that netflix has been in the production industry for several years now i have i think for the most part the movies that i've seen the ones that have worked for me have been what feel like independent films and I'm going to say things like Coda, which I know is not a Netflix movie, but it's those kinds where it's family drama, it's coming of age stuff, things that don't require a lot of heavy set pieces that are going to kind of give you that wow factor. And so when I watched this, I really started resonating with the fact that it felt like an episode of Amazing Stories back from the 80s or The Twilight Zone, where you have these sort of shorter stories that you're telling these constrained stories so i think we've used the word simple quite a bit and i don't want to necessarily lean on that word because sometimes the word simple implies oh it's like like dumb or it's not um very important or complicated or whatever that simple stories are good stories and i think that when you see short films you don't think oh well that was you know, that's a pretty simple story well of course it was it was a short film because it was only 15 minutes and i don't think 
it, it's a, it's a bad thing to say, oh, well, this movie and we've done this. I've done this where it's like, oh, this movie is an hour and a half. It must be crap because, you know, the fact is there are a lot of movies, particularly the ones from the 80s and early 90s that were, you know, 90, 100 minutes and they were kind of throwaways. So we've associated the length of a movie, which I think this one tops out at just under two hours with value. And we've equated a large production budget with being good. I will say this to answer your question. I don't know that this would work on the big screen because a lot of the stuff doesn't necessarily necessitate big screen stuff. Back to the Future, that's a big screen movie. I say that because I did see it in the big, you know, in the theater. And I will see it again in the theater if given the choice because it's made for that. I think Christopher Nolan's right. There are movies that are made for the big screen. Coda is not. Neither is Paper Tigers. But those are movies that I love. I don't have to see them in the theaters to appreciate them because of the way in which they're filmed. Something like this, like The Atom Project, enough of it felt small in production, small in stature, that it worked for me being in front of my television as opposed to going to a theater. Would I have enjoyed it as much? I don't know. I think because of the fact that it's coming through a streaming service that, yes, I pay for, but don't pay for at the time that I watch, I feel like I'm always going to get value. Because even if something is dumb, I'm going to be like, all right, well, I'm, I'm not paying for it, which I know I am. Um, I recently watched, and you knew this, uh, this movie called Best of the Best, which is from like 1989, and it's terrible. It's, a, it's an after-school special is what it is. But... I didn't feel bad about watching the whole thing because I've already paid for the service. When it comes to movies like The Atom Project, I think having a constrained budget, when you have a good director and a good writer and a good cinematographer, not trying to overextend their resources, not trying to overreach, that's when you get to good movies. And I think this one felt like that. The opening sequence didn't feel artificial to me. It felt like it was you know, spacey. It didn't feel like it was the not too distant future. This felt like 2050 in a world that I will probably never experience because it's so out there. Even Back to the Future 2 had that at the time where I was like, wow, there's no way I'm going to have power laces and hoverboards and Jaws 19. And that's what was fun about it. And that's how it, why it feels fake now, now that we're actually, what, seven years after that future. So when you watch The Atom Project and you see those small components of futuristic set pieces, it doesn't bother me. Um, I look at movies like this and I'm like, I would enjoy that in whatever environment that I watch it. But to your point, I think it fits better on the small screen because of all those things, because it has a limited, or I would say a constrained budget, not limited because it's not a limited story, but it feels more like it's one of those, it's better than a made for TV movie but it's not a blockbuster by any stretch of the imagination. And if you ask Sean Levy, like apparently I have since I sound like I have, <laughs> but if you if you ask him, I'm sure he would tell you he makes movies that make him happy. He makes movies that he connects with. And that's what you're supposed to do. When you tell stories, you tell stories that you know. And if somebody connects to it, great. We talked about this a little bit on our last episode about, look, if the movie doesn't attach to you, that's okay. It doesn't mean that it has to be made for everybody to be successful. And this movie is definitely not going to hit everybody's heartstrings. Maybe it's not supposed to because movies don't do that. They're very subjective. And so that's what I love about The Adam Project is it does throw me back to 
Flight of the Navigator, The Goonies, The Last Starfighter, those types of movies that I can watch over and over again in my living room as much as I could on the big screen. But I love the fact that it feels accessible, that I don't have to feel like it has to be huge to be valuable. Like sometimes these pocket stories that we get like this are are really, really enjoyable. I co-sign all that for sure. I, I think this is easily one of the more enjoyable, rewatchable movies of the year by the time we get to the end. And I, I love, again, I said this on our FF Plus episode that we did, or I did, I did, but the lack of vulgarity in it is just such a nice thing for me. It's even less than Free Guy. And that is just rare. And and I feel like I have to point it out all the time because we don't get it very often. When we do get it, I appreciate that. Which leads me to a question. Because we also got news after this dropped that Sean Levy had signed on to direct Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool 3. So he'll be the third director. Each of the previous films has had a different director. And I wondered if that had any effect on your opinion of Deadpool and the franchise. I know you're like me. So while Deadpool is funny and was a lot more funny the first time around with his shtick, even then it's such a character that is steeped in that vulgarity that there's only so much of enjoyment that we personally are going to get from it. Does this kind of alter that for you? Do you think that this would make you want to check it out or does it not do enough? What do you think about that partnership in that franchise? Um, I don't care for Deadpool as a character. So that to me is probably going to be the thing that keeps me from watching it. And, um, and I think that that's something that's just, you have to love the content before you can love the, the, the story. And so if you've got a character that you're just not into, you can have my, you know, a favorite director doing it. And the story can still not hit you in a way that makes sense because there's other stuff that's kind of going against that. So for me, my gut reaction is because it's Deadpool, I'm probably not going to see it. But I think that Sean Levy is going to be successful at it because most of everything else that I've seen him do, not only from movies, but also from television, has always been like good stuff. But I've had an investment in the things that he's actually doing as well. So for me, yeah, it's not going to be one that I'm going to be gravitating towards. Yeah, I mean, it, so it's similar for me. I mean, I am going to eventually see it, but I'm definitely not looking forward to it. I would say that it does move the needle slightly for me. It gives me hope that it's not going to be quite as crazy as maybe the previous ones are. But then again, I'm sort of putting Sean Levy in a box there, and I could see him adapting to the style for that audience in a very strong way. I, I think he's not the script writer probably for it. So it's going to come down to like directing style. I think he has proven that he and Reynolds kind of get each other and they work really well together. And so from that aspect, I think he's going to do a great job delivering that character. <laughs> and like you, it's not my favorite character, but I think that he will do a good job. Anyway, I was just curious about that, but yeah, that's all I've got on the Adam Project. I don't have anything else unless you do. No, that's all I've got. Pretty much it. So if you're still listening, you've probably seen it, unless you just like being spoiled. And if you 
want to join the conversation, you know where we're at on social media. Be sure to tune in next week where we get back into the theaters. We're going to check out 2022's The Lost City with Sandra Bullock, Brad Pitt, Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe. Man, it's a great cast. I know that Aaron is really excited about it. He's been hitting me up like, hey, man, we're going to, I think this is going to be good. I'm hearing things like it's our version of the mummy and we love the mummy. So this is, this is good stuff, man. So you'll want to tune in for that conversation coming up next week. In the meantime, we are out of here. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.